0: That's right. And I will say, but more so, I think the things that come at you that the world will call bad, I truly believe, now this is a Javon belief, that (laughs) the greater those things are, I believe the greater your purpose and influence is supposed to be.
1: Welcome to the Millennials and Money podcast. The podcast dedicated to encourage millennials to continue to make wise decisions with their money. We find some of the best ways to learn is through stories. So each week, your host and wealth advisor, Payne Boyer, invites a millennial guest on the show to share their money story. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. This week, I have a very special guest. I have Mr. Jovan Ag. Say hello, Jovan.
0: Hey, hello, everyone.
1: So, Jovan, I'm going to allow you a chance here in a second to introduce yourself to our listeners. But first, let me share how you and I originally met. And, you know, I'm not sure if you even remember how we originally met, but I first saw you I think it was 2016, 2017 at Calvary Christian Center. You were speaking at a, um, it, was, it, was, it was you were speaking at an event on police and the community, and um, just and just how we need to bridge that gap in the relationship between the community and the police department. And I remember sitting in the audience, I was thinking to myself, man, that brother could talk. Man, you, you speak so well. And that that event happened on a Wednesday. Mm. Uh, on a, the next day in my office, on a Thursday, I came down to the lobby of my prior office, and you were in there.
0: And I wow. went in to do
1: it myself, and I said, "I said, man, you spoke very well last night. That really impressed me."
0: So I I don't think you remember that, do you? I don't. I remember the event, but I don't actually remember meeting you. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and since then, you
1: know, my dad works in the municipal bonds space. You work very closely with the uh, state treasurer. You worked at one point very close to the state treasurer. Um, My dad linked you and I up since then, and you've been able to help. Some of my clients are really seeking to grow their their span. You're you're quite the connector. So, Jovan, that's how you and I know each other. Now take a second to um, share with the audience who you are, what you do, some of what drives you and you got to say something about uh, that d1
0: basketball okay no definitely um well definitely um appreciate the opportunity to to have this conversation um and just want to give you credit for you know what you're doing one with this podcast and then just two you know with your god-given purpose to truly help um individuals become better in the aspects of their wealth management and so hats off to you for that um a little bit about myself um you know, a native, so I was actually born in Madeira California, which is a small town outside of Fresno, was raised in, in Fresno, California, um, you know, single mother, um, only grandchild on top of it, um, and, you know, ended up, you know, playing sports um, most of my life, kind of narrowed it down to basketball. I also played volleyball in high school. Um, so basketball and volleyball, ended up playing um, junior college basketball at Fresno City, ended up getting recruited by Fresno State. Um, ultimately didn't get a chance to play because the pro- program got put on probation. So then I, I made the leap and played semi-professional basketball for two years down in LA in a pro-am league. Um, before deciding to re-enroll in college, um, finished up my degree at Sac State with a major in political science and kind of tripped into politics. Um, at the time when I graduated, I thought I was going to go back in and be a sports agent um, because advocacy and kind of fighting for folks' fair share has always kind of been in my blood. And so, you know, I saw a lot of athletes getting taken advantage of because they didn't understand the the business side of the sport. And so um, ended up getting a paid internship in politics, you know, 17 years later. Um, Here I am running my own consulting business now for 10 years. And really what I focus in on is is government relations. Um, I do that in two ways, one through um, managing political campaigns, the other through lobbying. And then the other side of my business is real estate, development, real estate development consulting, and that's helping people sort of navigate the local um, political landscape for p- permitting and entitlement purposes, and then also helping people identify uh, potential state resources to help them get their projects funded.
1: I love that, man. You, you have quite the story, man. You're doing some awesome things. So congratulations. Hats off to you, man. You have quite the impressive resume for such a young guy. Yeah, thank you, man. So this podcast is all about helping millennials out, you know, and, and helping them make better financial decisions with money. And I find many times people's mindset around money in general is sculpted from a young age and what they see growing up. And it impacts them in, the, in, their, in their view on money as they become adults and travel into adulthood. It, of course, it could always be changed at any point, but I find that's where those kind of cornerstones are built. So talking about what money was like in your household, some things that you saw growing up in a yeah. um, in a single mother household, what was that like?
0: Yeah, very um, unstable. I mean, you know, money situations, we had our highs and lows often. Um, my mom, you know, sort of had inconsistent em- employment uh, relationships throughout my childhood. So, you know, we had times where uh, we were doing relatively well, uh, working class, and then other times, we were not doing so well, and it, it forced us to move around a lot um, because of housing instability because, you know, in, ends couldn't be met. And so, a very up and down and rocky uh, financial environment I grew up in. So, how has that, that
1: kind of instability that you grew up in, how has that impacted you as an adult and as a father yourself
0: now? Yeah, so I would say for me, what it did was it really ignited in me, um, I think, what was already in my DNA um, is, you know, I come from a family of people that just can grind, you know, and sort of have hustle. And so I think for me, it just further ignited that. And, you know, I've been making money price since I am 14 years old in different ways. And so I um, have always been one that have figured out how to, you know, make revenue come my way. I think where I'm getting better at in my, my older years is knowing what to do with that money. Um, and so I would say I think that instability really sort of channeled something in me to say, You know, I'm not going to be broke. And I remember having conversations with myself and, you know, I appreciate, you know, God intervening. But I remember saying to myself at a very young age, I'm not going to leave this earth the way I came into it. And I was basically, you know, struggling. And so God, you know, fortunately gave me a a legitimate path to take. But I was dead serious that I was not leaving this earth (laughs) One, one way or another, you know, struggling financially. So.
1: You were uh, like that, 50 Cent, get rich or die trying.
0: That's, r- that, that's right. Before I even understood the term renewal, 50 Cent was.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. I love that grind. And you said it's something that you're, you're, um, you you're you um, had in your family, it's in your bloodline. Let's talk about some of that drive you saw growing up with you. I know you've mentioned to me in other conversations about some of your family members and their drive and their work ethic and how it impacted you. Uh is who you are today
0: yeah so i grew up in a very um interesting i would say family dynamic where um i had you know folks in my family that were very sort of church oriented um, my maternal grandmother uh, was a co-founder of a church and um, my maternal grandfather you know did construction and kind of did some stuff that um you know people end up getting put away for for a very long time and so kind of grew up with those being my realities. I didn't meet my fa- my father until 2018 through Ancestry.com. Um, he actually passed away, but I now have unlocked, you know, my, my father's side of the family since. And um, on that side, I actually have a paternal grandfather who who founded two Pentecostal churches in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And so my upbringing um, was very unique in the sense that it was really extremes. And everything I would say in my life has been about extremes. And so, you know, grew up with church being very visible and, and prevalent in my life, but also being very aware and familiar and accustomed to, you know, street culture. Um, and but on both sides, you know, have people that truly um, what I would call straight shooters. Uh, when they say they're going to do something, they say it. Um, they put their money where their mouth is. People that believe action speak louder than words and are people that um, really will do anything that it takes for something to be successful. So example, you know, my grandmother um, was someone who, I remember very young opening up the church. Um, she was the mother of the church as well as the co-founder, but she would be opening up the church sometimes and putting out the Sunday school books and I would be helping her and she helped the church finance, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then, um, you know, my, my uncles and, you know, folks like that driving up and down the street and, you know, people borrowing money from them, them going to get, get their money back from different people. So, um, <laughs> and so, you know, but, but it's, is it's frontline work as well as, you know, leadership work in many ways. And so, I was able to really see, I think I learned a lot about people um, and what people respect and what makes people tick. Um, And I think that that's sort of in my core. Uh, I I also came from, uh, I think, a family of givers. Um, And you had mentioned earlier about being that connector. And to me, someone that connects is, is just another form of giving because, you know, with your blessings, you try to, you know, multiply them and do more with those blessings. And I, you know, just feel like I've just been, abundantly blessed so for me it's just a part of my giving nature is to bless people with whatever resources um you know that i have available
1: i love what you're saying there because i'm big on that too you know i'm big on same with the same reason i bring my clients to you you know i, I realize that I, I'm, I'm a bit of a connector myself as well i'm able to connect a lot of my clients with cpas or business attorneys and you know we're gifted with this ability to connect with people so we should we should share with others. So you and I are on the same line there. So um let's talk about a time. Let's fast forward a bit. I know you grew up in a single household, but let's talk about a time when you became an adult. where you, yeah. where you became a little more independent. It might have been those college years or maybe maybe before then or after, but a time where you you got kind of smacked with reality yeah. and you figured you figured out that you know money's a real thing. I got to make some wise decisions about it. Let's talk about a time like
0: that. Yeah, I, I would say I think the first time that happened, I was probably about 18 years old. And um, at the time, I was driving a car that my grandmother had given me. It was a 1989 Oldsmobile Calais. And so, it was, you know, not the most stylish car, not the cool car per se. Um, but it was, a, it was a nice car. She, she, she took care of it, and I was very fortunate she did it. But I was looking to try to transition to a, a, a newer car. And, um, I I remember going to the dealership and it was a, it of course it was a used car, but it was newer than that. And, you know, I had kind of went through all the paperwork, you know, again, a lot of what I'm saying may sound weird, but I was extremely independent and mature kid. So I'm like 18 years old. I'm going to the dealership myself and I'm trying to get this car. And I think I had, you know, I was playing basketball at the time. So I had like, you know, money from like work study and all this other kind of stuff I had saved up. And so I'm in there, I think I probably like $1,500 and I'm at the car dealership. I'm trying to get this car. And, um, you know, first of all, hit me with, you know, you don't have any credit, right? You don't have really steady employment. (laughs) And so they hit me with that first, like, well, you know, this isn't really sustainable income. So I got hit with that first. So then me, I'm the type of person, I I don't swallow no's well. So, you know, I kind of leave and I regroup and I start calling people, my aunt, my uncle, you know, all these people. And, um, you know, long story short, I was able to kind of get everything into place in terms of co-signers, all this kind of stuff. But I was short the down payment and i'll never forget like i sat in that dealership once the de- you know when it's pretty much over and they're like you can sit here as long as you want to and you know kind of thing and so i <laughs> sat in that dealership for like probably like 45 minutes to an hour after you know it's all done and i was just so hurt because I, I again i don't take nose well and when i get my mind set on something you know if it doesn't happen it's just it's just it's devastating and so yeah. that was probably the first time i really realized like I got to get myself positioned better to get things that I want without all these hoops and, you know, obstacles that really aren't obstacles. It just has a lot to do with just ignorance and not knowing. So that was the first time I think I really started understanding, you know, the need to have more money, um, the the need to have credit, um, and the need to really, I think, have things that institutions deem necessary to extend capital to you.
1: Yeah, no, I, hey, two things there. First of all, I, I know how painful that was for you because as a connector myself, that means you're very resourceful. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I know I'm resourceful like you and you, you, you've you, exercised everything. That comes that point where you realize you've exercised every possible outlet and it's not going to happen. And like you said, you said that in that dealership, like, man, I failed. And that eats away at you. So I got to say I feel you that there, brother, because I've been there before myself. Well, I feel like I've done everything in my power. I can't believe I can't do it. So, and then the second thing you said that really struck me was like the fact that you didn't know what you had to do to buy it, to get a home, to, to get a car. I'm sorry, to get a car. And I find like that that's, and I mean, that's what this podcast is about, you know, especially minorities and minority communities growing up in single, single parent households. There's so much that's lost. There's so much that's not tied, that's not passed down. Uh, and People are stuck trying to figure it out on their own, and then fall into places like that where they're stuck at a car dealership, eighteen years old, and nothing they can do about it. So that's one of this podcast is about just being that resource for these people to at least hear learning from stories about, from from others. So I appreciate you sharing that story, Jovan. No, so you. um, let's you know the the word finance the word success means different things different people and. What success is to you today might not be what successful success means to you tomorrow. or It might not be what success was to you 10 years ago. But, um, but one thing we do know is you today is more successful than you were 10 years back. So let's say if you had a time machine and you, and you could go back and speak to yourself 10 years ago, what are some things you tell yourself to keep yourself on the path? And this can't be anything like, hey, go invest in Amazon.
0: Yeah, it's gotta yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I think it would be principles, right? So I think one of the principles um is, you know, spend and invest in things that last. Um, I loved clothes. You know, I love the whole, you know, I was probably a sneakerhead and you know, I had gear to match pretty much every speaker. I kinda had like a system. So I'd be like, for every pair of shoes I buy, I need I need like three interchangeable <laughs> outfits to go with that shoe, right? And so that was kind of my system, my closet. I would have the shoes below the sections of that. so i would, you know i was that anal with with the wardrobe and so um when i got to college and you know i was able to start enjoying kind of all this money from you know um playing basketball and you know just revenue that was coming in it was like i didn't really know what to do with it and so for me um it was growing up i was never really exposed to how to you know handle money i've always loved money um i've always had to control myself because it'll leave my hand as quickly as it gets in it and so my mom used to always say you know you think money grows on trees all this kind of stuff but then it was never the flip side on how to how to balance that so i felt you know what should have been done is taking that energy to say you love money let me actually show you how to do it because I've, like i said i've always had a knack to be drawn to where to go get it and so i feel like that that part was kept too hidden right it's like how do you make money how do you manage money and maybe because the knowledge base just was, wasn't there for my mother. And so for me, you know, I think I would tell the, the younger me, one, invest in things that last. Stop spending so much money on shoes and, you know, be okay with grandma's car a little bit longer type thing. Um, and, I've always, and I've always been a corraller. And what I mean by that is I was that kid, you know, third or fourth grade, you know, knocking on all the doors. We about to go play football on the street, you know, knocking on folks' doors. We Let's go play basketball. I was that. i was, I'm a, always been an organizer. And so, you know, if I'd applied that same mindset to monetary ventures, as well as other things, then, you know, that's, that's, that's something else is like how to use your gifts in a way that actually lends itself to wealth, um, not just money, you know, and that was something that's even new, new vernacular is we talked about being rich when we were young, we didn't talk about wealth necessarily. And so those are all things that, you know, I would talk to the younger me and things that I'm definitely teaching, teaching my generations.
1: And I love it. And just to kind of recap, make sure I'm hearing you right. Two things. First of all was just how to be wise with your money and not spend it aimlessly. I spend on material things. There's one thing I do with all my clients. I call call it a money purpose plan. But the first thing, the first question I ask my clients when they come to my office is, well, what do you value? Because when you're spending the line with your values, it's a lot easier to manage your finance and things that matter most to you. That's one thing I do with all my clients. So I love that you go back and share that with your younger self. And the second thing is using your God-given abilities, things like being resourceful, things like being able to connect people and finding a way to use that to, to make money. And and I think that's huge, you know. That's one thing that I've struggled with myself. You know, people like me. My whole life I've always said, like, you know, people like me. But that's, that's not, but people liking you and making money with it, are two completely different things. So yeah. bridging that gap takes some guidance takes some intent. And having yeah. intent behind
0: that is it's huge. The other thing I would add to that as well is I think, you know, getting past this thing of um, not seeing the value in hiring professionals like yourself also, right? I think just culturally, and when I say culturally, I don't necessarily mean black culture per se, but I mean social economic culture. And, you know, in a lot of the environments I grew up in, particularly in West Fresno, you know, a lot of people in that environment will pay professionals to cut their hair, right? Mm -hmm. You'll pay professionals to wash your car, (laughs) right? But you don't pay professionals to manage your money. Those aren't always seen as good expenses or expenses that someone say, oh, I'm not going to go pay someone. You know, you try to do all this other stuff yourself. But you don't do those things yourself because you know that you don't know how to cut hair. So it's also getting over that mental gap and saying that, you know, whatever, you know, $5,000 that I may need to spend a month or annually to do this the right way is going to have a a return on that investment that is going to be much greater than that initial expenditure. And I think that's something as a community we have to get accustomed to as well. It's not just about knowing how to balance a checkbook. No, you actually have to train, pay professionals to do some of this stuff like you do with other things that, to your point, you, you make value like your hair.
1: The, the, I tell my clients that all the time. Like, uh, it's, you got to be able to delegate. You know, I have business owner clients who, who I don't, don't doubt have the mental capacity to manage their own finances if they had the time to invest in it. But their time is better spent running their business. This is, this is, what, brings, this is what brings the income in why are you spending time over here trying to manage your, manage your finances that's taking time away from income producing activities? And just being able to delegate that and release it to someone else like myself or a CPA, it's, 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 so, it's, so, much, it's so freeing mm-hmm. to my clients, at least that's what they express to me. But I, I appreciate you saying that because it, it, it's such a big deal, especially in urban communities in particular. You know, we hear all these stories about people making a ton of money in the stock market and 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 we always hear the downside, the other ten million stories about people who lost a ton of money in the stock market. And yep. it's yep. it's 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 big, man. And I appreciate
0: you sharing that. So and here's I think a lot point. of it has to do with it has to do with I think so much of these gaps exist because there's not the translation needed to have it resonate with certain communities. And you know, for me personally, you know, my most recent stint, you know, as you know, was deputy treasurer for the state of California. And there's so many resources that exist in that building, right? $2.3 trillion worth of assets under management that are going to people who don't even understand what they are, first and foremost, because of the vocabulary, the language gap. And so even in what you're talking about, you know, you can go to those same communities like the one I grew up in, and you can ask somebody, you know, is it important to you know, have friends, have a squad, have a tribe, you know, be a part of a game. And everyone will tell you, no, because why? Because for most of this is, is, is an aspect of survival, right? Survival and success. And so, but when it comes to these things, it's not translated that way. Because then when it comes to these matters, we want to lie to ourselves and say, you know, I'm self-made. You're no more self-made than an MVP won the basketball game by themselves, Right. And yeah. so they won them with a great supporting cast. And so I think it's just taking some of this very sometimes high level information that was not necessarily designed to speak to a certain population like the SAT test. Right. Most people fail the SAT test because they can't even understand the instructions. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, and so the same is true with this. I think we have to figure out when I say we, I mean, I think in, individuals similarly situated like you and I, who part of our purpose is to be translators. Right. It's it's the ability to know that you resonate with certain populations of people, but you also have access to information that was not necessarily designed for these people and being able to translate it in the way that they understand things so that they see the value in it.
1: And that's what this podcast is all about, man. I appreciate you saying that, you know, when I first came into this career, when I first started working in the financial industry, a um, uh, one of my mentors at the time, he told me that. To practice my presentation, practice everything I'm saying with my daughter, who was mm. ten years old at the time, and she she's a you don't get me wrong, she's super smart, but she's still ten. Yeah. But but it, the what this career is taking these complicated concepts and philosophies and translating them to where a ten year old can understand, and at the same time without making that ten year old feel ignorant or feel feel dumb, and like it's a balancing act. I'm bridging that gap. Of understanding, but it's a gap that needs to be. Uh, they can't be ignored, because it's been ignored too long. And there's so many times that I'm sitting down with the individual, and they might just be nodding, in agreement, be because they don't want to feel dumb for asking a question. So it's my job as a professional to have my walls down and and make it a make it a peaceful um, peaceful meeting to where they're able to ask this question and let me know if they're not, if they don't understand what I'm saying without making them feel ignorant at the same time. I feel yeah. dumb at the same time. So here's an, here's the next one, man. With a lot, this, there's so much going on in the country today, uh, in the, in the world today, you know, with the pandemic, um, especially with when, when you, you, you deal with political things going on things about the murders that are happening to uh, African-Americans around the, around the country, these police murders. It's so easy to, get a sense of uncertainty. So being you today, what is it that you do to maintain a sense of certainty in, in otherwise uncertain times?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, with all that's going on, I do a couple of things. One, I try to just block out as much of this stuff as possible. Um, and what I do kind of in the political space, you know, I'm, I'm much more engaged with this stuff than, than a lot of people. So I tend not to watch a lot of this stuff for recreation like I don't watch a lot of news um, I don't watch a lot of the debates um, because so much of it is part of what I have to do that when I have an option with my time I don't choose to spend my recreation time consuming a lot of this stuff because it's not productive um, but I say for me I think you know I have a term that I like to use and it's called run your race and it, you know it's a hashtag I like to use and for me that means just being focused on your purpose because if you're focused on your purpose everything else will take care of itself because it's already been in my beliefs, you know, predestined that everything else is gonna take care of itself. So it's important for you to take care of yourself for the harmony of this universe we live in. But in terms of the financial aspect of it, it's two things. One, it's me, myself becoming smarter, um, assessing on a daily basis what information I need to attain to make better financial decisions. And then two, understanding exactly what you said what is my time balance? So no matter how much time and energy I spend, I will never be a CPA, right? I will never be an attorney. So it's important that I bring on professionals who have, who, that is their purpose, to help me with mine, right? And then I would say in terms of, uh, you know, just the mental stuff, it's, I think, staying spiritually grounded. You know, um, like I said, growing up, I was very much, you know, grew up in church. Church is a, a big part of my life. And I'm not necessarily talking about the building, but I'm talking about, you know, relationship with God and relationship with the, the positive energy that has brought us here. And is hopefully navigating us and steering us to where we need to be. So I think those two things, um, I think it really makes up, you know, who we are as individuals. There's the human side of us, which gets tired and frustrated and angry and want to tell people off. And then there's the side that brings us back, which is, you know, the spirit that has been put in us that is taking us somewhere. And so I think, you know, it's staying focused on that. And I think that if people do that, then we'll have less time worrying about, you know, with, a lot of these things that people worry, worry themselves with. It's not to say that we should turn a blind eye to the problems of this world, but I believe that if everyone's truly doing what they're supposed to do, a lot of these things would be, have, be, have been addressed preemptively.
1: I, I love it. I, I really love what you said. So just to reiterate, make sure I heard you right. The first thing, um, running your own race, you're focusing on your purpose, you know, on what you're put here to be, and you, like my, myself, believe in a higher power and believe that we each have a calling on our lives and we focus on that calling, then everything else is going to be taken care of. Everything else, even if it's, even if we don't see how it's going to work out, we we believe by faith that we know it's going to work out. And second is just that being grounded in faith and in a belief system and and trusting in the higher power to provide for us and to, to focus on on that love rather than what's going on around us will continue us to will will help us maintain a sense of certainty in these uncertain times. Did I
0: summarize that okay? Was that? Oh, you did. You did. And I I just want to add to that. I think too, at times we get the constructs wrong. So, and what I mean by that is sometimes we want to bring carnal things or worldly things, as the church will call it, into spiritual principles versus it being the opposite. So, for instance, you know, in the spirit, there's no such thing as good and bad, right? In the spirit, it's counted all joy. All things work together for our good. Mm -hmm. But what happens in spiritual settings? We will want to talk about things as being good and bad. When, where did that come from? So what you're now doing is you're bringing in worldly principles into spiritual concepts, right? So for me, if, you know, in, in society, maggots have a place, right? Maggots get rid of waste. From a, yeah. from a non-spiritual, say, people say maggots are bad, right? Or people say buzzets are bad. Well, in the spirit, that's not true because we all have a place in this ecosystem or in this body. So I think that, you know, if we start there, then, you know, no matter how crazy a Donald Trump may be, he may be being catalytic to a purpose that is yet to come. And so for me, that's how I balance what the world will see as bad and negative or, you know, someone taking a loss financially, you know, a lot of the things that I went through young, the world would say were bad, right? But they propelled me, became catalytic to who I became. So are they truly bad or are they good? But in the spirit, it doesn't make you choose. Right. And so I think that those things become important, too, when you talk about how do you stay grounded and how do you stay balanced is making sure that you're clear on what system you're aligned with, because that'll change your whole mindset. I love I love what you
1: said. And as you're saying that one verse keep kept coming up to me, um, I can't quote the, where it is in the Bible, but I know it says all things work together for those that love God. Yeah, uh, I, I know sometimes I have to remind myself that because something might look like a terrible situation. You know, throughout this whole 2020, my wife is saying, man, 2020 sucks. And every time I stop her and I say, no, no, this, 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 this is the best year. It's the best year yeah. of my life. So I keep saying that even though I don't see what's going on as a good situation, but all the, if, if I truly believe all things work together for those that love God, that means that this is beneficial to me in some way or another.
0: That's right. And I will say, even more so, I think the things that come at you, that the world will call bad, I truly believe, now this is a Javon belief, that (laughs) the greater those things are, I believe the greater your purpose and influence is supposed to be. Because I can say personally, I probably should not be here today. I mean, from car accidents that I've been in at a young age, doing stuff I wasn't supposed to be doing, to house parties I was at, that I shouldn't have been at, that got shot up. I mean, I, I literally shouldn't be here today. So I'm saying, I think that when one survives those kind of experiences, I think that there were things that came against that individual that was trying to keep that person from reaching where they were supposed to go because if that person is let loose, the type of good they can do is dangerous to a world that doesn't want to see good happen. So I think there are a lot of things that come to try to destroy that before it can get out the gate.
1: I love what you said. Number one, because it made me feel really good about myself, it must mean I have a pretty big purpose on my life. And secondly, because I'm sure there's other listeners out there who are feeling the same way I do. So I really appreciate you sharing that. And I'm in complete agreement. I'm in complete agreement that there are assignments against people like us who have the chance, especially coming from where you and I come from, of being able to speak both languages. And we can can take some other people who normally wouldn't be able to have this kind of exposure to this kind of world that you and I are in, being in financial background, and still expose them to it. And who knows what they can do with it. So we're getting close to the end. This is the last question of the podcast, Jovan. I got to say, I've really enjoyed having you on. Thanks so much. So this podcast is about financial success and it is for millennials. And I understand that the word financial success means different things, different people. But to Jovan today, what, how do you describe financial success? And I like to think of it as a, as a quality of life, more than a dollar amount. So what does that quality of life look like to you, Jovan.
0: Yeah, no, you hit the nail on the head. So to me, it's, it's living the way you want to and doing so, not being in debt. It's that simple to me. It's living however you choose to live and being able to do so, not in debt. <laughs> I, yeah, I love that, I love that. So
1: living the way you want to, being able to do what you choose and not being in debt. So that's something That's, that's that freedom.
0: And I think that it, no matter, and I think everything we do boils down to freedom. And so people have their own philosophies, Democrats, Republicans, you know, different cultures. But at the end of the day, I think in, in, there's, every, there's something fundamental in every human being that we desire freedom. And some people assume that the more money you get, the more free you will be, but not if it comes with the, the debt associated with it.
1: I love it. I love it. And that's what's about. It's about finding that freedom. And, and it's not always debt that keeps you in bondage. It could be the amount of time you have to work to get that kind of income that you think you want. And he, he, I work with my clients a lot of times with trade-offs, like, okay, you could make X amount of dollars, but, you're, but then you're not going on vacation like you thought you were. So what, yeah. what is freedom to you? Yeah. And I, I love how you summed that up, Jovan. What was that? What, were the, what was that phrase one more time? It was being able to do what you want. Being able to live the way you want to and being able to do so without debt. Okay, that's going in the show notes, guys. Uh, thanks again for listening, Joe Von. Thanks so much for being on. I'd love to have you back. On uh, if you ever need my support, I'm always here for you. And thanks for listening, guys.
0: God bless. Thank you, man. Keep doing what you're doing. Will do.
1: Congratulations, guys. You've officially made it to the disclosure portion of the show. I'm an investment advisor representative of securities offered through Bertha of Fisher and Company, Financial Services Inc. BFCFS member, FINRA-SIPC. Holmes Financial is independent of BFCFS. Thanks and have a blessed week.